Welcome to the Personal Trainer Collective podcast, the only resource for personal trainers who are fed up with the status quo. If you want to stay ahead of the competition, build a thriving business and have the freedom to work on your own terms, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, let's take your confidence and education to the next level with this week's episode. We at the PT Collective obviously have our flagship course, which is the PT Core course, which goes through all of the components that I mentioned. And in my opinion, is the personal trainer qualification you wish you had, but you never had the opportunity. So if you're listening to this podcast and you uh, completed your level three, even if you completed it a while ago, but you found like it left gaps in your knowledge in those seven components, then uh, before you sign up to the PT core course, we actually broke out the marketing lead generation aspect of the PT core course because it has nine units and you can get that now on the website. Currently it's at £99, um, but I think I've put a double check, I have a check. Uh, when you go to through to check out, you can use the coupon code podcast and it'll give you 20% off. So again, if you listen to me rambling for 21 minutes, then uh, you deserve to have some <laughs> sort of incentive or, or some sort of gift for listening to me for this long. So if you are struggling to get leads and you want to learn more about marketing, content marketing, and you want different lead generation strategies, whether that's online or not, like we have a lead generation playbook where I go through everything in detail, what to do, what not to do, um, and how to basically optimize them to generate leads. Because when we surveyed quite a lot of personal trainers, their number one problem was, guess what? Oh, I can't generate enough leads. So if that's you, it's £99. Go over to the, go over to the website. It's ptcollective.com slash course slash leads, or just go to the website and you'll be able to find it. And uh, use coupon code podcast at checkout and get 20% off. Um, and you also have a 90 day money back guarantee because we're that confident. So if you're not generating your leads and you feel like the I've scammed you, which hopefully you, you wouldn't feel like that after listening to the podcast or multiple podcast episodes, go over, get the lead generation course. If you find that of use, then I would highly recommend that you check out the PT core course in full um, where you can just become an all round badass when it comes to having a personal trainer business. Welcome back to the PT Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Johnson, and today I'm on my own. So this podcast will probably be short and sweet. Um, and yes, it's applicable. And I'm going to give examples when it comes to a fitness professional, personal trainer. However, you can use this decision-making process for anything in life, whether it's moving home, moving area, uh, lo relocating to another country, changing careers, whatever it would be, you can pass it on to your friend, your spouse, whoever, your children, do what you want with it. So this is a two-step process. And the first one, I, I sort of just skimmed past it. Um, and I will go through it in a bit more detail when it comes to making decisions. And this is something that I didn't create. Uh, a guy called MJ DeMarco, pretty good name that, isn't it? Um, I've read, he's got three books out and this is his first book. It's called The Millionaire Fast Lane. Now the title sounds a little bit meh. meh. However, um, the book is very good. So if you are a um, fitness professional that is looking to scale their business beyond making low or high 
or high, sort of, or probably close to, to the six digit mark and above. If you are fairly ambitious, then I'd highly recommend that you check the book out. But when it comes to making decisions, I feel like everyone has their own circumstances, their own goals, their own ambitions, their own people that depend on them. And uh, young Luke, who's 21 years of age, um, can make more brash decisions than a 36-year-old Luke sitting here right now speaking to you when it comes to making decisions in life because I now have responsibilities, I now have three children. Um, and that decision, even though you could say, I would say when I was younger, I was very, I didn't really care too much. It was like, I'm just going to do it and what will happen will happen. And I probably used the first part of the process that I'm going to teach you uh, today in the podcast. And that was it. I didn't really sit down and go through the second part of the decision, which I will now do when it comes to making big decisions. So I wouldn't really worry about this process. Is it, I mean, you could probably Google right now and just be like, how many decisions do you make a day? Now your decisions are very important and your decisions can and will um, dictate the way that your life progresses or the way it goes down. So decisions are very important. So I want to express that early on in the podcast. And if it is a decision that ha can have a profound effect on your life or the life of the, your loved ones, then I'd highly recommend that you go for it. So now you're like, Luke, shut up. Just tell me, tell me what the process is. So the first one, which is very quick, is called what MJ DeMarco calls it. He calls it the, the worst case consequence analysis, the WCCA. I will just call it, what's the worst that could happen if you do X? So he breaks it down into three questions. Number one, what is the worst case consequence of this choice? Number two, what is the probability of this outcome that the actual worst case scenario happens? And number three, is this an acceptable risk? So again, he gives an example in the book about, um, I think having, uh, get, having a one night stand and what, what are the worst case outcomes. I'm not going to do this on this podcast because I want to keep it relevant to personal trainers and fitness. However, you do want to see example it is fairly funny. You have to get the book. So let's use the example of you changing the gym that you're currently training clients at or that you're working out of. So worst case scenario is if you answered the first question, which is what is the worst case consequence of this choice, you've then got to look at this and go, okay, if I go from my current gym to this gym, what is the worst case scenario that could happen? The example I gave was it doesn't work out and I then go back to the gym that I was at originally. Now, if that means that you can live with that and it's not going to affect your family, you're not going to be homeless then it's probably a good idea to then go into step two, which we'll talk about in a bit, which is more of a matrix and goes into a lot more detail. Then that's the thing. So when it comes to my decision-making process, I don't really answer. I probably do answer the second and third question, which is what is the probability of this outcome? And is this an acceptable risk? I do, but then I, I sort of do that innate. I don't really answer those questions. I just go, what's the worst case scenario? Can I live with that? Cool. Back in the day, that would be it. It's like, yeah, I can live with it. I'm going to just go and do it. 
uh, nowadays I probably would ask those questions. So let's say worst case scenario doesn't work out and I go back to my old gym. Then you've got to look at what is uh, the probability of this actually occurring. So this is when you've got to look at yourself and you've got to look at, well, how confident as a, uh, am I now? So me as a 36 year old going back into the gym, just it's, I keep mentioning it. This might be something that I actually do uh, again, just for, um, just to see, just for content, to see how it works out. But as a 36-year-old with the the confidence, the experience, the knowledge that I've gained in all aspects of, remember those seven core components, um, training, nutrition, uh, coaching, communication, business, marketing, and sales. Of course, it's been a while since I said them, but they're the seven. Because I have more knowledge and experience in all of those aspects now, I'd feel fairly confident. So what is the probability that I will fail if I go to this new gym? I'd probably say five or 10%. You may be slightly earlier on in your career, maybe not as confident. Maybe you don't have a, maybe you've just made a rash decision, which you shouldn't be doing now if you listen to the podcast and you've decided to just go all in. You've not created a plan. You've not found out information about the gym, how many members, uh, can how can I market? What's the pricing? Do I have control over that? You've not looked at those factors. Where if someone has got a good plan, has got a good track record of getting client results, you've been training multiple for multiple years, getting great results, having amazing feedback, and you've never been short of getting clients. And let's say for the gym reason, it could be that you are just moving away and therefore you can't stay where you're currently at. So there's all of those different factors there. So what's the worst case scenario? What is the probability? If that probability is fairly high, then also you're going to be a little bit more cautious making that decision. And then the third question, is this an acceptable risk to take? So this question will all depend on you, where you are in your life and your responsibilities. So if you don't have a family, you're fairly confident, you have a plan, you're going to be like, this is an acceptable risk. I feel like it's such a, a low probability that the worst case scenario is going to happen. And you feel that you and your, you personally in life at the moment, worst case scenario, you're still going to have a roof over your head. It's not really going to matter. You can go back to the gym you was at before. Then you should probably go, I'm, I'm going to do it. Or I'm going to move on to step two, which is the W-A-D-M. Yes, that is correct. That is an acronym for the Weighted Average Decision Matrix. Now, this one, I would highly recommend that you do it on an Excel spreadsheet or a G sheet, depending on if I can be asked to do this or not, or or I want to. I may create this G sheet or spreadsheet. So if you are listening to the podcast, do double check the, the show notes. Um, hopefully it'll be a clickable hyperlink and you can go through to it. So with the weighted average decision matrix, this is something you're going to do post to like part two. If you're happy with part one or you're a little bit undecided, you're then going to move on to this. Um, what you're going to do here is you're going to make, well, it's important that you have two choices. You can't just have one choice. So you can't have gym one. You have to have gym two. You could potentially have three different gyms, four different gyms, but I feel like the more options you have, the the sort of cladier it gets to when you actually make the decision. And this decision matrix um, process 
is very thought out. And again, it's still very independent for you as the individual. So what you're going to do now is you will have, let's say, gym one versus gym two. And then you're going to list the factors that are important to you. And you're going to use a scale of one to 10. So example that I'm going to do now, which I'm just pulling up on my phone, because obviously I did some prep beforehand, is when I look at it, so you're going to create three columns. Factors, gym one, gym two. They're your three columns. If you want to have another gym, then feel free to have another column. Then you're going to list down the factors and you're going to scout, you're going to rate them between a one and a 10. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have 10 different factors. You could just have five. You could have eight. I recommend probably not having too many factors. Probably 10 would be a, a good round number. Now you don't have to assign them, prioritize them as in one to 10. There could be multiple factors that you list that are high on the scale. They might be an eight or a nine. So you can have that and you're going to get a flavor of what it would be for me. So let's say to two gyms, but the due to two gyms are fairly close to one another. So for me, I'm going to say, right, location is a factor for me. Like how long is it going to take me to get to the gym? Now I might look at that and I list in my factors down. So I'm going to go through the factors that I put down and then I'm going to give you the numbers that are important to me. Now the numbers may vary based on you and your circumstances and what are more important to you in your life. So location, the actual rent process and how much the rent is, number of members that the gym actually has, the member type. And when I say member type, I'm probably looking at membership fees. I'm looking at demographics. I'm looking at ages. I'm looking at the, the type of individual that would go to a David Lloyd's gym versus when paying like a hundred plus pound per month is going to be different to someone that goes to a gym that pays 1499 20 1999 per month. Other thing I'll be looking at is control over pricing, competition from other trainers, and then my freedom to market. So I'm going to break them down and go into a little bit more detail. And then I'll talk about how you can actually create a multiple, which you may have worked out already to make your decision because you will get some fairly high scores with this. So for me personally, I'm like location, I'm going to give that a one out of 10 because they're, they're rare, like they both take me five, 10 minutes to get to or 15 minutes to get to. Rent would be a five out of 10. So with the renting situation, it depends. That could be slightly high if you look at it because there's some gyms which have, and again, this may vary from country to country, but you'd have um, some just do you pay rent. There is no option to work for free. You do not work for free, by the way. Um, there's a really good video from James Smith on his YouTube channel, which looks at the whole work 16 hours for free. And the good point that he came up with was, well, if you're working for free, you can't claim that back as a business expense. If you're renting uh, like a freelance and you're renting at a gym, you can obviously claim that back. Less profit at the end of the year, make more money. And then when you actually factor into the 16 hours and your hourly rate of how much money your the rent is versus what you're working for free. So again, there's always context. If you're just starting out and you have a lot of time and not a lot of money, then maybe the working for free is a good option for you. Maybe you can exploit working those three hours and actually have some personal training sessions during that time where you're making money or you're using that time to market on the gym floor.
So rent situation, I gave like a five. The number of members I gave as an, an eight. Um, and again, both gyms could have a high number of members. Um, it could be, I feel like a key thing for me is I wouldn't want to work in a gym that was a private studio where you don't just have normal members coming in because you're going to have to go outside of the gym to find people in the local area to then sign up with you to then bring them into the private studio gym. So number of members is going to be key. The member type, again, uh, I've put down as a six. Control over pricing for me is a 10. Because let's say, for example, David Lloyd's, if I want to book personal training sessions at David Lloyd's, I do it via the app. It's a 45-minute session and I purchase sessions. Now, if you've listened to previous podcast episodes or if you're new to the podcast, go back and find the podcast. I think there may be one or two of it of why I prefer. Uh, I don't recommend you as a personal trainer to sell sessions, but you sell a monthly coaching experience and there's many benefits. I'm not going to go into that. So for me, having control over how I charge, the price I charge, and the frequency and having that control is going to be key for me when it comes to making a decision for the gym. Competition from other trainers, I put as a five. Again, that's why I'm going to be looking at multiple factors. So if they've got a thousand members and there's 20 trainers, that's quite a high, uh, well, a low ratio between trainers to members. So there, again, you can't really make do those decisions in isolation. And then also, if you are fairly confident in your ability and the other trainers are your generic level three PT um, trainers, then I'm like, cool, you're probably not going to be that good. You're probably not going to do the things that I'm going to do when it comes to talking to members on the gym floor or marketing on the gym floor. Therefore, I'm really not that bothered when it comes to competition. And the other one I had was freedom to market. And I gave that as an A. Because when you work for some organizations, they are very strict when it comes to, oh, your trainer profile has to have this. It can't have that. You can't advertise on the gym floor. You can't do this. You can't do that. And for me, the, and again, one of the good things about MJ's book is he has uh, the, the sense tenants of commandment to have a scalable business. And the C is control. So the more, the lack of control that I have, then obviously the, the lower the score is going to be. So they are the different factors. So again, just to recap and go through it, you're going to list the factors down one to 10 of the importance. So again, as you can see there, I had some which had the same number than others, and it all depends on you and your, um, what's important to you. Then you're going to look at each individual gym and you're going to go through that and you're going to use the same one to 10. So again, if you're like, well, the location for gym one is good. It's right next to me. It's an eight. And then if the other gym is slightly further away and you're giving it a six, then you're going to take that into account. So you're going to go through each factor for each gym and you're going to score them out of one to 10. And then what you've probably worked out right now is to work out the final score where you're making your weighted average decision matrix is you're then just going to multiply it by that. So let's say, for example, I factored the control over pricing at a 10. Gym one allowed me to do what the hell I wanted. So I gave that a 10. And then gym two didn't. Therefore, I gave it a three. 
So one scores 10 out of 10, one scores three out of 10, 30 versus 100. So you're going to go through all of those factors. And at the end of it, you should probably have a, fit, a hefty score where it might be in the 200s or plus where you're looking at that. Now, my recommendation there is once you've gone through that, if the gyms and the scores are relatively close, I'd probably then just reevaluate it and look at the factors again and then go, right, is that is that really a 10 or, or now would I change my mind slightly for the factor and maybe do a recalculation? And then the next step that I would probably do then again is if I didn't have the, the exact numbers for members and stuff like that, I would then want to go to the gym and have a conversation. I may then go to the gyms themselves and then think about other factors that may be important. Like, is it a, is it a gym that has just opened up? Therefore it's not proven. Is it a gym that has been around for a long period of time? Is it a gym that has multiple sites? Like, do they have a hundred locations around the UK or do they have one or two? Then it could be management and stuff like that. So you could then start adding other factors in for that. So that is your weighted or how to make a decision for big decisions. You're not going to spend time going through that, but this is something that I've used in the past and made decisions. And I feel like um, there should be some sort of process where it is you're thinking more rationally and you're not just using your emotion to make a decision. I would always, once I've gone through this, I would then wouldn't make a rash decision. Trust me, I made many impulsive decisions in my life. Um, and I would always say, always sleep on it. And then also get feedback from people that know the industry that you're in, that can be very much, sub well, subjective, uh, and don't really have an emotional attachment. And then obviously if it impacts your partner, your kids, maybe not get your kids involved if they are still at school as such, primary school or nursery or not even there, uh, but have a discussion with your partner. And once you've gone through that, you could then go back and go, well, before I make the decision, what can I do to reduce the worst case scenario probability? And it could be, I'm going to make sure I have a plan in place. I'm going to speak to other person trainers on the gym floor. I'm going to speak to the gym manager and find out how long person trainers uh, on average stay with them. Like what is their churn rate? Because all of that information is going to be important when it comes to making a decision. So I want to thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Again, I don't know if this has been enjoyable or not. If it's not been enjoyable and you've been like, Luke, you've wasted my time. Apologies, but I thought I'd do something a little bit different today because decision making is for everyone. Thank you for listening. If you've not subscribed yet, subscribe. If you've enjoyed the podcast, give it a like, give it a rating, and I'll see you next time.